your actions in the flesh have caused you to be so self-centered that it is going to take years and years of suffering and understanding to get you out of that mm-hmm. framework because you've participated in the darkest sins of the flesh oh, wow. and that has changed your heart to wow. such a point that I can barely even, you know, uh, that there's barely hope for you. And some of these people will never come forth. But there is a group of people even in that spot. And maybe we don't like to think of God as allowing those people to be in his kingdom. Well, mm. you know what? If they're righteous, they're no longer the whoremonger. They're oh. no longer the sorcerer. They're no longer the murderer. They oh. are a righteous son of Jesus Christ. Wow. You know. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are finishing, well, who knows if we're finishing, but we are continuing on our discussion on eternal life, and we are really going to dive in finally to section 76, and I hope that we find some glad tidings of the gospel uh, as contained herein, and as we go through and look at our understanding compared to all of the other scriptures that we've been looking at. So this should be a good one. So... Where we left off with our last one, Corey, uh, you said you're either saved to the kingdom or not. And um, when we're talking about Section 76, you made the point in our last episode that I thought is very important and that people realize that we're not talking about a place where people end up, but a lot of times we're showing where people are coming from as far as being resurrected from a place that they were at. Yeah. So where are they coming from? But I think there's a couple of things in 76 that has uh, lended to confusion over the years. One of them is the the word worlds, you know, worlds without end. And maybe we automatically go to like, you know, these planets or these existences, different places. Um, So anyway, but section 76, at the very beginning, Joseph and Oliver asked, or Joseph and Sidney, right, (laughs) asked the question. And, and, and you make a great example. What was, what were they what were they? Um, what were their minds on? They were reading in the Bible, and so they were on a very specific thing when they that they had to be meditating on. What was that? Yeah. So this doctrine and covenants before it even shares the revelation, it, it gives a little story in section seventy six of the doctrine and covenants of just how this came to pass, and it said they were working on on the, the inspired version and translating, and they were reading. Uh, well, they were working on the, the Book of Mormon translation, I mean, and they were reading from the Bible in John five twenty nine, and it talked about the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. And and it states, this caused us to marvel. Well, what is this about? Yeah, it, and I, I'm going to interrupt you one time, and then I want you to just go at it, because I think it's always good to remind ourselves we're discussing something that we've looked at for hundreds of years. This is... 200 years ago, you know, 1800s, there was all kinds of tent revivals, all kinds of thoughts on heaven and hell. And just as I read uh, during our last episode, you know, Christianity, they looked at it as like this recompense or this rewards for, you know, how you lived your life, but all kinds of thoughts on heaven and hell, you know, people were damned or Mm -hmm. all kinds of, I, I, I Google searched art, you know, artwork on 1830s on heaven and hell. And there's all kinds of charts and pictures of these creatures, you know, paintings and the devils and, Imagine their mindset when they were reading and they're 
working on the inspired version and they come to this, imagine their mindset that it says it caused them to marvel. Mm, mm. You know, for the that's first a good point. time, for the first time, it was entering into their minds without all of the background that we have. Well, you know, that's a great point, Mike, because we read this with the perspective of having these scriptures. Yes. But you consider their day, their minds were shaped by the thoughts of men in those days and the pictures that they saw. Right. And which may not be a lot different than sort of, and, and I don't want the, want this to sound condescending, but like sort of the generic Christian attitude is that when I die, I go to heaven or hell. A lot of people just see it as that I die, I go to heaven or hell. And most Christians, and this is kind of a head scratcher, don't even consider that there's this thing called the millennium uh, where heaven comes to earth for a thousand years, by the way. And the Bible says that all over the place. Those are just, Right. It's <clears throat> this is probably part of what caused them to marvel because they said, "Well, tell us about the resurrection of the just," and and that wasn't an inspired version term. This was already in the King James. Tell us about the resurrection of the just and the unjust, and then lo and behold, Sidney and Joseph are blown away by what happens. You know, the wall fades away or whatever, and they're both seeing this vision, and and so now how it unfolds is equally fascinating to them. You got to remember that what comes in section 76 was in response to their question, tell us about this resurrection of the just mm -hmm. and the unjust. And what the world didn't really understand, and, and we have a better handle on, I believe, is that there's this time period at the in this life where heaven returns and there, there's no rapture like the some people have gotten into that thinking that somehow all the good people are gone. There is this time when God says, hey, I'm going to come down and the good people of the earth are going to meet me in the, in the cloud and you're going to be transformed, by the way. We're going to talk about that transformation through section 76. But the main point is to realize it's happening at the beginning of this millennium. That is the resurrection of the just. That's when the good people come forth and they live on the earth for a thousand years. The, the bad people get to spend their time in hell, the prison house for the thousand years. They don't get to, to uh, be resurrected until the end of that time. That single understanding it, with that helps lay the groundwork to understand the rest of section 76. If you don't understand that was first the question they had, and then everything else was a response to that. Then you get into all these, well, you're going to the celestial, you're going to the moon glory, you're getting a star glory. You're No, no, it wasn't talking about final judgment. So, so the first thing to realize is that section 76 was responding to their question. Tell us about this resurrection of the just, mm -hmm. which happens at the beginning of the millennium. Now in our previous episode, we kind of defined that scripture through, we talked about Genesis seven, Enoch's vision. We talked about um, section 85 of the doctrine and covenants, uh, the time when the Lord comes to the earth at the beginning of the millennium. Um, and we talked about Abinadi's writings uh, where he's seen good people come forth, people who died in the ignorance, uh, they come forth in, in the resurrection, and people who are rebellious, they don't come forth. All these set the tone for what Section 76 describes, but it just describes it in, in, in a lot more detail. To help shape our thinking, it uses some extra words too. We, here's where we get the bigger words like the celestial terrestrial, telestial words. They, they get added into this scripture because they're all describing the, the level of light 
or glory that these people had. Now, now, why does that make sense to, to even include? Um, well, Joseph and Sidney, uh, they get this revelation opening, and, and at first they don't even describe it in terms of light and truth. They see the sons of perdition, and they see these people who rebelled. They see Satan. That's where that's where mm-hmm. it starts out for them. And that's the fourth fourth uh, paragraph or, or section of verses in section 76. And and what we find is after that, and I, and I know you, you have a lot to say about this, Mike, is that they see these people who knew God's power and then are confined to spend eternity away from God and perdition, sons of perdition means they were, they were with the devil. But the scriptures teach that everyone else is saved. Everyone else says these are the only ones who weren't saved. Right? Yeah. And it, and it says four or five times within the first few paragraphs, the only ones that are not saved Yeah, repeatedly, the only ones that were not, not saved. Yeah, exactly. He says, and this is the gospel. <laughs> and the glad tidings. And the glad tidings. So, yeah, when when they're when they're marveling for the first time on this resurrection, this is what he starts out with. Look, first of all, only one group of people will not be saved, will not be with me, and these are the sons of perdition. And and he talks a little bit about why, and this is the gospel. This is the glad tidings. And so everything has to be Based on that, I mean, that has to be wonderful news to us. Like, okay, well, number one, that wipes out a huge amount of pressure considering the old ways that you may have looked at that. Yeah, right? that'll, that'll never measure up. Well, if, if he had started out and said, look, some of you are going to be just men. Some are going to be honorable. There's a bunch of different places where you're going to end up. Some of you will be with me. Some of you won't. Some of you will be with the Father. Yeah. If, um, and and this is the glad tidings in the gospel. That's not super glad tidings for, for me. <laughs> no, it's left our whole generation with this idea that we really can't know if we're saved or not until the end. It's like this surprise. Mm-hmm. And and so that always makes it seem like, well, it was something else I had to do. And it, and it just goes in the face of what the scriptures say. No, the thing you can do is to be broken and contrite about your sin. And with that seek to turn and, and serve him all the days of your life with every breath, with every heartbeat. None of that could ever be enough by itself. That's why our works can't merit the salvation. Our works are just the evidence that our heart changed. And if it says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, uh, if I can't completely trust in him to do a work in, in me and respond to him and and um, you know, and thus have that reflect on where I'm with in eternity, you know, or or a better way to say that, if I can't trust in him to be this creature that has learned to love other people and not be self-centered, then what can I? He's either powerful and, and able to do that in my heart or he isn't. And, yeah, that's and, where he says, my work and glory is to bring to pass man's immortality right. and eternal life. And to categorize the sons of perdition, there were some pretty specific things you had to do to become Yeah, that. it says they denied the Holy Spirit after having received it. You know, so they... They wanted to rebel, and it says they are going to spend their time with the devil in eternity. Uh, 4E says they go into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels, the only ones upon whom the second death shall have any power. The second death is the final separation from God. That's exactly what Revelation 20 shares. You know, Revelation 20 shares a lot of stuff before the millennium, during the millennium, after the millennium. And after the millennium is this final judgment. The ones who are rebellious go to Lake Fire, or your name was written in the book of life, and then you're with God. Again, that's that's the left hand or the right hand. 
but I, I want, I don't know if you've got your Doctrine and Covenants handy, but I, I know that you enjoy these uh, passages. It might be worth uh, sharing in uh, section 76 uh, for, I just read E, uh, maybe F and G. Yeah. So the, these these uh, devil and his angels. Um, it says they've denied the Holy Spirit after they've received it. They've denied the only begotten Son of the Father. Um, these are the ones that go to the lake of fire. So there's some pretty specific things you have to do. Um, all, the, but it says all of the rest, all of the rest shall be brought forth by the resurrection of the dead through the triumph and the glory of the Lamb. And that's where you talk about Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith. He was slain. He was in the bosom of the Father before the worlds were made. And so this didn't take him by surprise that all of a sudden, oh, man, what are we going to do? Everybody has fallen. He, he, it says this is the gospel, the glad tidings which the voice out of the heavens bore record unto us. They were sitting here marveling over the scripture. You know, what does this mean? This is the gospel, the glad tidings, that the voice out of heavens bore record unto us. He came into the world, even Jesus, to be crucified for the world and to bear the sins of the world, to sanctify the world, and I love this, and to cleanse it from all, all unrighteousness. unrighteousness. Right. If that's the gospel and the glad tidings, we cannot add to that and say that, Certain people are saved, but are not cleansed from all righteousness. Right. And in the end, his work is perfect. Everyone who comes forth in the millennium is made perfect. And what we're going to see here later is they come forth differently for a reason, which, which reason we'll explain or at least try to, try to discuss. Right. There's still, there's still a plan for God to produce the desired result in his children that he created. Exactly. And some of it takes place beyond the veil. Yeah, some, and some of it takes place during the millennium. When the millennium mm -hmm. starts, the work isn't finished yet. There's right. still a thousand years to go. So this, he goes on and says that... Um, Your favorite verse, G. <laughs> this is the gospel, the glad tidings, yeah, that, that the, he came to cleanse the world from all unrighteousness, that through him, and then he says it again, all might be saved... Um, whom the Father put into his power and made by him. He glorifies the Father. He saves all the works of his hands except those sons of perdition. So there he says it again, who deny the Son again after the Father's revealed him. And he says it again in the following verse, wherefore yeah. he saves all except them. He saves all except them. They right. shall go away into everlasting punishment, which is endless punishment, which is eternal punishment to reign with the devil and his angels in eternity. Their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched, which is their torment. In the end thereof, neither the place thereof, nor their torment, no man knows. And I like that, that quote I wrote from C.S. Lewis in the last episode. It's not because they're getting their just desserts. It's because of who they are. Right, right. They're self-centered. They're right. unable to love. They're exactly. unable to repent. And that's the, that's the crux of denying the Holy Spirit and denying Jesus is that you're going to know it because you get to a place where you no longer can repent and all you desire is evil and dirtiness. And so if if you're at a place in your life where you still want to do good, where you still want to seek him, where you still want to repent, where you still want to be made new, then there's hope and you're one of those people that he is going to complete his work in. I mean, he's pretty pacific. He's pretty pacific <laughs> in what he says that, um, that those those sons of perdition, who they are. And, right. and 
And he, he wants to present the gospel and the glad tidings right at the beginning of this experience to them. And, and, and it comes back to agency in that you had to know and you had to understand and yet choose, I don't want this. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where agency makes a difference. That's the only way agency can make a difference in the end. Uh, but, you know, this— doesn't that seem interesting to you, though, Corey? That when they say, "Tell us about the resurrection of the just," that or that they they're reading about that, that God starts off with this, yeah, and that, exactly. like this is like here's the lens I want you to view the rest of this information through. There's only one group of people that aren't going to be saved, exactly, and that's that's the powerful. I mean, that's 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 why I believe it's true. And I I wondered the same thing. Well, if you're going to talk about the resurrection of the just, why don't you show Zion and give us you know flowery? And I don't mean that in a demeaning way. The beautiful descriptions of Zion because that's the resurrection of the just. And and it's like no, he starts off here and he says, oh by the way, write this down. And he says he concludes that saying, I show this division by people, but I shut it up again. You know this part of the perdition and how awful it is. He said. He said, you can't understand the torment of this, that you can't understand the pain of this. He said, I show up by vision to many, but I shut it up again. And he said, and you can't understand it unless you experience this. And and while they're seeing this, they they write it down. So so they write that down. But it like you say, it was given, I believe, for that very purpose that you just stated, Mike, that you view the rest of it through that lens, that you realize the people who aren't saved are those who intentionally rebelled, right? And so what does that leave us with? Well, so so the rest of the, section 76 describes it. Yeah, the rest the rest of it describes it and should be looked at through the lens of everything I tell you now is glad tidings. It's gospel. This this is good news. This is glad tidings. This is not a look don't look at this and see how people can be uh you know placed in a in a in a in a eternity that's not that good, but rather you're seeing this as this is wonderful news and that there's hope for all the different kinds of people in different states that have gone through different things. Right. And, and, you know, coming back to uh, what we stated earlier about this whole idea of there's a right hand of God and there's a left hand of God. We're seeing the people on the left hand of God. And, And now coming back to what Enoch sees, just, just one of a few people who saw this again, he sees, those saints stand on God's right hand. Then he sees people who are in the prison house stand on God's right hand. Well, the saints were the ones who had experienced God on this earth and made a choice. When we make that choice and we're found worthy because of our broken and contrite hearts, apparently we get to experience that resurrection then when we come back to earth. And so what this the rest of this section describes it starts comparing these people with light and 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 remember too that later in the doctrine of covenants the glory of god is defined as intelligence or light and truth so when we talk about glory and you see things that are bright like the star or bright like the sun and they're compared to celestial or kind of bright like the moon and they're compared to terrestrial or they're comp- compared to being kind of dim but sunlight like a star and compared to telestial, think in terms of the glory of God being light and truth. Some had all the light and truth. Some had some light and truth. Some had a little light and truth. But as you said, it's saying these are saved. Here's where we have to come back to what is being defined. We're defining the resurrection of the just. Our paradigm has taught us to read these, seeing 
for instance, celestial as a place people are going. But notice what happens in, in paragraph 5. Jesus, or in the vision they're being told by, by God, by Jesus, these were people who received the Holy Spirit. These were part of Jesus' church. These were God's when he comes in his glory on the earth. And in 5L it says, these are they who shall have part in the first resurrection. These are they who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. So, so right there, it's tying this back in with, okay, when we're talking about these celestial, notice this is what's happening at the beginning of the millennium. And then it says, hey, well, and if you were not sure when the beginning of the millennium is, notice in N, 5N, it says, these come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. These come with Enoch, okay? We believe Enoch City comes back at the beginning of the millennium. We believe Zion's here at the beginning of the millennium. And I'm just trying to build the 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 understanding here that this is all talking about the same point in time, the, the resurrection of the just. And so then it says, these people are the bodies who are celestial, whose glory is that of the sun. And so in this vision, they're seeing these people who are bright, shining like the sun. They came from paradise, or they were on the earth, and they come forth, and they're alive, and they're fully transformed. They're like that body of Adam probably was in the garden before he rebelled. They have the fullness of light and truth. Now, I want to show. I want to share something, and it's a little bit of a sidebar. It doesn't have anything to do with Section 76, but it's, it's sort of a proof for this, too. When we talk about the, the next group, the terrestrial, remember the three Nephites who wanted to tarry, the Scriptures say? Well, God touches nine of the 12, and he doesn't touch the last three, and he says, hey, when you guys reach the age of 72, sometime after that, you're going to die a natural death. You're going to keep working for me until then. And then you're going to come to heaven and have your reward. But to the three, he says, I know what's on your heart. And these three stay on the earth. And we're told they, they get to do what John got to do somehow, not die. They wanted right. to remain working on this earth. But you know what's interesting in the Book of Mormon adds this, and I'm trying to tie the idea in. He says to them, okay, there's going to be a change. And now we get this later. Actually, I think it's Mormon or Moroni, one of the two, Writes and says, hey, I was curious about these Nephites. What, what happened to them? And how is it they got to live forever? And he says, a change was made in their bodies, but not the full change that they're going to experience in the kingdom. They got a change where they wouldn't be subject to sin or death or sickness or pain. Except for the sorrows, for of, the sorrows of the flesh, yeah. right. But it's interesting because he says, a greater change they'll experience in the kingdom. So... It says it, that kind of implies right there. Well, there's differences in how bodies can be changed to live forever, but not be completely changed, right? I, I share that because I think that case totally applies to what we're seeing here in this section 76 as well. The people who are coming forth in this celestial state have been with God in in paradise, right? Or there were good people on the earth who as Enoch sees or as, as Abinadi shares, these were the ones who kept the commandments. And now they get that full transformation. Section 85 says, hey, they're caught up in the cloud. You're going to be fully changed if you're alive on the earth. You're going to meet people, Enoch City coming down. This is when you fall on their necks and kiss each other and all this stuff. It's like all these people now 
get the full transformation and live on earth with this full change. That's what these three Nephites are also going to experience then too. They don't have it yet, but they have a partial change. Why do I share that? Well, I think the next paragraph in section 76 ties into that idea that the next paragraph, section uh, paragraph six says, Hey, the vision on the celestial changed this. We saw the terrestrial world and we saw the people whose glory differs from that of the church of the firstborn. In other words, they, they were different. They weren't as bright as the people who were uh, in this celestial, fully transformed state who were living on earth in the millennium, had been in heaven or had been good people of the earth. But he says, now we saw people who had died without the law, who were spirits of men kept in prison, who the son visited. So right here, we have that same group of people that Enoch sees, right? Or that first Peter three, Jesus went and preached to the people in prison so that they could have life, right? Or that section 85 around paragraph 30 talks about, these are the ones who when the second trumpet sounds, they came out of the prison house. But he says, these people didn't receive their testimony of Jesus in the flesh, but they received it afterwards. So in the prison house, he sees them come forth and they are alive they are resurrected, but they don't have, I'm going to say, the complete transformation yet because they haven't lived or proven themselves in the flesh yet. They, they receive the gospel so that they could be judged according to men in their flesh. Maybe their judgment hasn't happened yet, but they're given a chance to live during the millennium. I mean, on this line of thinking, Corey, in, um, you know, the Book of Mormon says, don't procrastinate the day of your repentance. And you just said something about these are that, you know, they haven't received the testimony of Jesus or been valiant in that testimony. Now, we're just speculating here, but I think we could say, you know, we like to make groups of people. Well, there's groups of people that were born and never heard the name of Jesus or whatever, you know, or there was little, you know, we know what happens when little children die and aren't baptized. They're, they're just fine. The Book of Mormon points that out. Um, so would people that didn't have the law. They're just fine. But just because you're born into this world in a place where Jesus' name is prominent, and um, let's say you're born in, in, into a, you know, any city in the United States, and there's a church on every corner, and you know the name of Jesus, in that, but you're also born into a family that is just broken mm-hmm. right, and corrupt, and you experience trauma and all kinds of things in this world that may prohibit you from receiving that testimony of Jesus. There's there's more than just a head knowledge or knowing that the name exists, I believe. And I believe that that's why it's really hard to draw fine lines, but we have one righteous judge in heaven. And that the plan, like you say, of dying and going to heaven or hell based on um, what you did as a reward, that there's a much deeper plan. And that's what the beauty of the fullness of the gospel is, is that there's a prison house, there's a paradise. People can learn about Jesus, but but they they never they they're not just learning his name. They're learning of him and what it means to love. And they didn't have time to maybe live that out in this world though they knew the name of Jesus. Right, right. And that's the difference is that we all there's no exception. Everyone's heart has to change and everyone has to confess him that their heart changed. These people in the prison house didn't do it yet. And that's a, yeah, and that goes back to that that thing on C.S. Lewis said that it's not about what you did; it's about who you are. Who you you are. have to be changed to not be self centered, but right. to be other centered. Right, and that's that's what it boils down to. And so, 
I just think that we could come up with all kinds of exceptions and all kinds of categories of people, but there's one righteous judge that has a plan to take care of all of that, and there's continued learning. Right. And I don't even know that once you're in the prison house that you only you only have either come forth on day one or a thousand years later. Maybe you accept twenty three years later in to the preaching or the ministry being given there. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Alma said Alma kinda answered that too. He says, Hey, whether there's one resurrection or two or three or twenty or a hundred, it doesn't matter. He said, I'm gonna tell you he said when Jesus comes forth, there's a resurrection then. And when he comes again, there's a resurrection. He said, there might be some in the middle too. He mm-hmm. he kind of, he kind of doesn't really answer that question. He just says it could exist. But he said, but don't, but don't let that, uh, you know, worry. And worry. so, but there's one fallacy that I think has been propagated. And I don't know if I was just taught wrong or, or maybe it's the way we looked at it, but if it was like, almost like if you, if you're in the prison house and, and you repent later, you're not sent to the lake of fire, but you never have a chance to be with the Father. Exactly, and, and but we is, see that the, people are coming forth all the time to be on His right hand, the best place. Exactly, and that's that's the beauty of this is that to be on the right hand of the Father is to have all your sin removed, is to be made fully clean. Uh-huh. And it's not to remain in a partial state, cleansed from all unrighteousness. Exactly, and that's the that's the message we've missed. The Book of Mormon is so clear about this. So. The Doctrine and Covenants section 76 isn't contradicting any of that. It's actually just explaining details of it. We we can't get lost in it, though. We can't not see the forest for the trees, so to speak. But but all of a sudden, you know, and, and again, notice, too, that in these descriptions of celestial, paragraph 5, terrestrial, paragraph 6, it's not describing places people are going to. It's describing places people came from the the people who were the celestial had come from heaven with Enoch and in, in them right now the people in the paragraph 6 the terrestrial these who had been in the prison house it doesn't say they're going to the prison house it says they came from the prison house so again we've just read this so quickly and we said oh well you get to go to terrestrial and uh you receive Jesus but you don't receive God it's like no that's not what it's saying it's saying the son preached the gospel to them in the prison that they could be judged according to men in the flesh but he said they didn't receive the fullness of his glory there in the prison it's not talking about their state for eternity it's like no they didn't receive the fullness of God's glory so when they come forth Again, these are talking about people coming forth in the first resurrection. They come forth because they had less light and truth. They come forth in a body that Joseph and Sidney described as not as light because their situation hadn't given them the chance yet to be what fully tested, fully proven. I, I don't know what the word is to describe it, but here's here's the point. God's work isn't finished yet. These people, I think, come forth kind of like to use the analogy previously about the Nephites, kind of like the Nephites were, okay, they've got to change, but they just don't have the fullness of the change yet. But there's still a thousand years to go. And it's at the end of the millennium when God says, hey, I've perfected my work and glory. You know, every there's no unrighteousness here now. So if these people came forth with a less resurrected state of light and truth, um, eventually they're changed too, because in the end, the kingdom's perfect, right? And so... Everyone, God's purpose, and, and when we talk about, you know, in, in our Christian circles, those that believe that the spirit of man is eternal and we 
we were with God in the beginning. No one disputes the fact that all of our souls were with God in the beginning. Yeah, we all just kind of assume that. But somehow we've come to this acceptance that, oh, yeah, but for eternity you can go someplace that isn't with God and you'll be okay because that's still better than than Lake of Heart. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a huge fallacy that God's work and glory means to return us fully back to him. And remember the lens that we should be, re- like, we're reading this through, that is only these group of people are going to be the sons of perdition, are not saved. Only the sons of perdition are not saved. Right. Repeatedly said. So we look at the contradiction, Corey. If we if we look at section, if we look at verse 6, I just saw this, and we read through this, and we are taking this as a final judgment place to spend out eternity. Look at the contradiction. Right here it says, these are they, we're talking about the terrestrial world or the moon world, as we, we would say it, the moon glory. These are they who died without law. Haven't we read somewhere else that those that died without law are not accountable? Yeah. So that means that they died without a law, but they never have a chance to be with the Father? No. They died without law, and so they're going to have a chance to receive the law and then either respond to that law to be judged according to men in the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. To, to live out what they've learned. So how can you say if they died without the law that they're sentenced to a moon glory outside of the presence of the Father? Exactly. That's that, contradictory. That, to, that makes God harsh and, and, an, and a partial judge. So how, would, how do we, how do we, <laughs> how do we corrupt that to say something? That's not right. Right. That's right, not right to right. say that that, says something contrary to other scripture. Well, it, it comes to the fact that we've been given truth, but sometimes we just read part of it and then we think mm-hmm. we've got the whole scripture. Part of it comes back to, you know, Alma 19, where people don't understand this restoration. It says, yeah, they're restored according to their works. Well, it doesn't mean that in the resurrection, it, it, it means you're restored either because you desired good to the right hand of God or you're restored to the left hand of God because you desired evil. That's that's what it means. We've, I don't know, there's, 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 you could probably explain it a lot of ways and maybe none of them are right of how we came to the incorrect right. conclusions. And I, I don't know that there is really a clear path because some of it becomes illogical. But, but what I look, like is all these scriptures do corroborate. Absolutely. So if we read this though, from the other viewpoint that um, there's only one group of people that aren't saved. So we're, we're saying that these people are going to have a chance to be saved. So mm-hmm. reading it through that lens, then you can read that they died without the law they were spirits that were kept in prison, whom the Son visited and preached the gospel unto them. For what purpose? That they might be judged according to men in the flesh, or those of us who lived and had a chance to respond to that law, who received not the testimony of Jesus in the flesh, but afterwards Afterward. received it. These are they. Now remember the lens we're looking at. These are people that are not sons of perdition. Only the sons of perdition aren't saved. So these people have a chance to be saved. These are they who are Here's another thing. It's just honorable men of the earth. Right. But you can't be with the Father, even though you were honorable based on what you had, who were blinded by the craftiness of men. Now, Corey, I've heard teachers in our church put all kinds of people in here. I've heard people say in classes, these are those that, you know, refused to accept the Book of Mormon and weren't baptized by authority. That's what blinded by the craftiness of, of men means. These are they who receive of his glory, but not of his fullness. Yeah. I don't. You can't. You can't make that stuff up. So right, that's right. not fair. Now, again, that's based on what things I've heard taught. But these are they who receive of the presence of the Son, 
but not of the fullness of the Father. So that Jesus has gone down and preached to them. They were able to say, yeah, I I want to I want to learn more. And so they're brought forth in this resurrection, but they haven't been in the fullness of the Father yet. So exactly. they haven't been transformed yet. But they did receive the presence of the Son. Now, remember the lens we're looking at this through. Wherefore, they are bodies terrestrial, not bodies celestial. All that's saying is they haven't been in the fullness of the Father yet. And they differ in glory or in brightness or in light and truth as the moon differs from the sun. This is interesting. These are they who are not valiant in the testimony of Jesus. Now, how does that fit in there? Yeah. They haven't had the chance to to live it out yet. They haven't, they've received him. Right. It says they've received, they received not the testimony of Jesus in the flesh, but afterwards received it. So you can't contradict yourself there. Right. What does that mean? These right. are they who are not valiant in the testimony of Jesus, wherefore they obtained not the crown over the kingdom of our God. I think it it all means it's all describing the reason they ended up in the prison, prison house. house. Right. It, it, because that's where they are. Or, or maybe they should have said these are they who were not. Not, yeah. not are in present tense because it, that would contradict what was. Yeah, in, no, it's just, it's just describing why they were in the prison house, you know, hey, hey, they're here because, now again, he's describing something that to him is present tense when he's seeing the vision. Hey, you know, it's kind of like he's touring them through the zoo. Here's the pandas, here's the lions, here's this. Here's the people who aren't valiant in testimony. They're right here, and you're seeing them in the prison house. But they've received, it says they, but they afterwards received. Right, and this this ties back into uh, some beautiful scripture. First Peter three says Jesus went to the prison house to preach to people so they could be judged according to men in the flesh. This is them, and it says we. These are those ones who, again, are coming forth in the first resurrection. What Enoch sees, and it's what in Genesis six and seven when it's saying, "Hey, a prison house have I created for these people if they don't repent?" And he says, "Jesus has pleaded before my face for these people too." so that they can be judged and have the same judgment. What happens is Joseph and Sidney see these people come forth without as much light simply because they haven't experienced the fullness of God yet. How can you until you do? Right. They haven't. But but doesn't mean that they won't. Again, the, the one of the scriptures we can tie into this comes back to uh, Abinadi's words in uh, Mosiah 8, and it's around verse, uh, let me get it here, um, 50, 55, again, Abinadi sees three groups. He sees the people who have done good. He sees the people who are blinded in ignorance, and he sees the people who rebel. But notice how he says this. Uh, just just read a couple of these. Mosiah eight fifty five in the earliest version. There cometh a resurrection, even a first resurrection, a resurrection of those that have been and who are and who shall be, even until the resurrection of Christ, for so shall he be called. Now he's describing the same event that Enoch ends up seeing later, what's going to happen before Christ comes. But the principle is true whenever it happens. He says, these people, they believed the words of the prophets in verse 56. They kept the commandments. And they'll come forth in the first resurrection. I mean, you can't say it more any simply. more simply. It's just these are the people who obeyed, right? He sees them come forth in the first resurrection. 57 says, They are raised to dwell with God who has redeemed them, and thus they have eternal life through Christ who broke the bands of death. Wow, there it is. And he says, They have part in the first resurrection. And these are they that have died before Christ came in their ignorance, not having salvation declared to them. So in the very next verse, 
In just one sentence, it's describing what we call the terrestrial. We, we just saw the celestial. Now mm -hmm. it says, there are those who have the part in the first resurrection. They died before Christ came in their ignorance, not having salvation declared to them. And thus, the Lord bringeth about the restoration of these, and they have a part in the first resurrection, or have eternal life being redeemed by the Lord. So this is a Benedict's description of the people who, the key word is, died in their ignorance. That's what honorable men of section 76 who were blinded by the craftiness of men. Same thing, different words. So Benedict very clearly says these have eternal life. We've got to be careful also not to just uh, take Abinadi's words as um, the only because there are people that died after Christ came that didn't um, receive of his gospel right, right. and like we talked about. So it's not just those, but he's he's showing a category of people. And I think the key there is those people were able to have eternal life and not not a partial eternal life, but the, the whole shebang, man, the, well, the best and, part. And, and here's the thing that it's it's a detail that, I don't think we, we spell out because it crosses several scriptures to get the full story. But what Abinadi is describing and what Enoch sees, it's the principles by which people come forth and they're resurrected. But it happens the same whenever it happens, wherever mm -hmm. it happens. When Before Jesus lived as a man and died on the cross, no one had been resurrected yet. Jesus was the first. Abinadi sees this. Enoch sees this. Good people get resurrected. And then he says people who died in their ignorance or who are in the prison house, they get resurrected too, but some remain. That's, right. that's some the key. remain. Enoch sees it and Abinadi is seeing the same thing. But the principle is true because this is where Joseph Smith adds this, section 76 and 85. Joseph's basically saying, hey, I see the same thing happening at the first resurrection at the beginning of the millennium. The good people get resurrected, the ones who obeyed. The people who were blinded by the craftiness of men, okay, they're like in their ignorance, like Abinadi. Hey, they come forth in the first resurrection. They shall have eternal life. But the people who rebelled, Joseph calls those perdition. Abinadi doesn't use the word, but he he goes on to say, hey, the ones who rebelled, they don't have part of this. It's, it's seeing the same thing. Joseph's just now describing the same process at the beginning of the millennium. And so that's what section 76 is describing. And so when this continues in section 76, we see the third group. He said, we saw the glory of the telestial, less light. He said, he said they didn't deny the Holy Spirit. Now that compares to the perdition who, who did. did. Right. Who did. That's the point. They have The only ones that aren't saved. The only ones. And he's noticed this. These are they who are thrust down to hell. What's happening here is when Jesus comes in his glory, there are people who are alive on the earth who had been rebellious, but they hadn't been like the perdition. They spend a thousand years in hell. Now, just for our listeners that may not be RLDS background, this is hell, um, another word for prison house, another word for temporary place, not hell of burning and final judgment. Final judgment. Just so you know. Correct, because... Some of these words are used yeah, with yeah. different meanings, so this is temporary hell. Yeah, for if lack we of say better. hell, we're talking the prison house that exists now 
It existed in Noah's day. place where Christ went to preach, right. a place of suffering the wrath of God, a yeah. place of punishment as well as learning. It's not the, it's not the paradise of God where right. God is, right. right? And your spirit waits either in the paradise of God or it waits in this prison. And the prison seems to have levels, if you will, of um, torment or punishment. We, we don't know of suffering. Because there's some there that will never accept. Correct. There's, there's a, some that will accept and be, and be uh, on the right hand of God. But for those that are completely self-centered and evil, um, they would have, you know, they wouldn't be in the general population, for lack of a better word. I mean, yeah. seriously, to you have all different styles, types, styles, yeah. styles of centers. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the point you, you make is good that hell is describing – this prison house. Sorry, yeah, not and, to and interrupt. If you, we say lake of fire, but it's you said describing the yeah. final judgment or the second death. But uh, you pointed out they did not deny the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so they haven't. They aren't classified as the perdition. But again, if your snapshot is at the beginning of the millennium, there's people on the earth who live, who come forth and get to live in the millennium who are alive. There's also people who don't get to, and they are sent. It says they they are thrust down to hell. This is paragraph seven D. And notice this. So when we say hell, we're talking the prison house, not final judgment. And we also know from, I got to throw this in, in Revelation 20, hell has an end at the final judgment because it's thrown into the lake of fire, whatever that means. But if someone is in hell right now, it has to be before the lake of fire. So it has to be before the final Mm -hmm. judgment. I'm just saying that so people realize, no, this too is talking about at the time of the millennium. But, But here's... This is interesting, paragraph 7e. These are they who shall not be redeemed from the devil until the last resurrection. So they are going to be redeemed from the devil. Yeah. Uh, until the Lord, even Christ the Lamb, shall have finished his work. Isn't that interesting? What's his work? Author and finisher of our faith. Yeah. So, so you're redeemed from the devil. Christ finishes his work, which is what? To bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Yeah, that's what it says. But you can't. So then do we add on, <laughs> Christ the Lamb finishes his work, and these are they that are redeemed from the devil to never dwell with Christ or never dwell with the Father. That's that's the story that we've kind of been taught. Right. Well, that's and, not what they're redeemed to. That's yeah, not being saved. And that's not what Section 76 has ever said either. It's simply describing, okay, during the millennium, some people are going to spend their time in hell. And then it describes how how information is transferred. He says, hey, the celestial people who know it all, they're teaching the terrestrial people on the earth. And the terrestrial, the celestial, they get to go minister to the telestial and because they're going to be appointed to be ministers to them. Well, what do you minister for unless there's a chance to repent and be saved? That's a good question because F even answers that. The very last part of 7F says, these who are appointed to minister for them or who are appointed to be ministering spirits for them, for they shall be heirs of salvation. Isn't that? It's just like paragraph four, where you're talking about he saves all those, right? Yeah. How we, how are we going to? And and we have really taught one another to use that um, to use that response when people ask you if you're saved in our church. That we respond, well, what are you saved to? Well, this oh. is and and so. Heirs of salvation, we have said that there is different levels of salvation that is not being with God the Father, and I just don't think that's scriptural. And, and it can't, it can't be. Are we going to only 
you let's just say you did interpret it that way and this is the way it's meant that would mean that that would be uh, in opposition to so many other scriptures well here's one that it is in opposition to if, if in, you took the meaning to, yeah the historical meaning that it's been taught as yeah so jesus is the one whose very words come to us from the book of john chapter uh, 10 i believe Let's see if i can find it uh no, it's John 17, rather, John 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I mean... To know both. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like you can't have eternal life without knowing God. So you can't somehow call uh, some state that we've just made up because we didn't understand these scriptures as, oh, well, you'll be in the moon glory. You won't be in the sun glory, but that's okay. Um, at least you won't be burning. And no. what's the what's the um, the great scripture you always quote in the Book of Mormon? And this is the final state of men. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's in in First Nephi four, and and again, what's interesting is the final state of man is described by Nephi after he's discussing with his brothers the meaning of the tree of life, and he's seeing either the tree of light or this tree of life or this great and spacious building and he he concludes everything that he's talked about in this and this is in the RLDS version it's first Nephi 4 verse 61 he says wherefore the final state of the souls of men is to dwell in the kingdom of God or to be cast out because of the justice that he's spoken about and the justice is being judged by your sin because your sin wasn't removed so, and the the Book of Mormon calls that you know this awful hell. You you either come to Jesus and all your sin is removed, or you accept the justice that sin produces, and your sins aren't removed, and that becomes hell for eternity. And so, so in this situation, you know, God again was trying to save us from these things. He was. It wasn't that he wanted to send people to hell. It's no, that if you don't come to me, your sin will create hell for you for eternity. It'll be like a lake of fire and brimstone. It's three or four places in the Book of Mormon where it's interesting because it doesn't say you will be in a lake of fire and brimstone. It says your torments will be as a lake of fire and brimstone. And that's interesting because it comes back to the idea that your perfect body that you now inhabit with a soul of sin is miserable, is miserable. And God knows this. This is why the sin has to be removed. And so these people in section 76 who are being sent to hell, they're being tormented, They're, they're but they're not done yet because he says they aren't going to be redeemed until the last resurrection when the work is finished. And he said they will be heirs of salvation. And so he describes all these things uh, and the, the the different glory, the different light and truth. But these people are going to also be redeemed. It says, jumping ahead to seven n, um, uh, or, or well, yeah, seven n. Last of all, these are all who will not be gathered with the saints to be caught up into the church of the firstborn to receive it in the cloud. That's at the time of Jesus coming in glory. These were liars, sorcerers doomed to suffer the wrath of God. And then verse R says, these are they who are cast down to hell to suffer the wrath of Almighty God 
until the fullness of times. You know, I don't know how we read any of these scriptures and ever convinced ourselves it was describing something beyond the resurrection because it says three or four places right here. They're sent to hell until Christ redeems them. They're sent to hell until, until the fullness of times. Until, right? yeah, they're, until. They're sent there, and then R continues, until Christ shall have perfected his work when he delivers the Father to the kingdom and presents it to him spotless, saying, I've overcome, I've overcome. So even these, it comes back to everything you pointed out, Mike, through the lens of perdition, the sons of perdition is that you suffer the wrath of God if you know God and you choose not to have anything to do with it. And it's describing some pretty wicked people here, sorcerers and things like that. Um, it's describing some pretty... And so there, there is suffering for those things because, again, Corey, we, we look at... I think we look at hell oftentimes as a series of rewards and punishments. And so we say that... Um, well. Something just heard Siri. I said a series, <laughs> and my phone didn't like that. So um, a series of rewards. Siri, and, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> yeah. There's a series of uh, rewards and punishments. And um, and when we look at, like, whoremongers and sorcerers and all of that, can you imagine how self-centered they are? It's not that they're being punished, like, 30 lashes for sleeping mm-hmm. with this minute, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But rather, your actions in the flesh have caused you to be so self-centered that it is going to take years and years of suffering and understanding to get you out of that mm-hmm. framework because you've participated in the darkest sins of the flesh oh, wow. and that has changed your heart to wow. such a point that I can barely even, you know, uh, that there's barely hope for you. And some of these people will never come forth. But there is a group of people even in that spot, and maybe we don't like to think of God as allowing those people to be in his kingdom. Well, mm. you know what? If they're righteous, they're no longer the whoremonger. They're wow. no longer the sorcerer. They're no longer the murderer. They wow. are a righteous son of Jesus Christ, wow. you know? Wow. You know, that's that's so cool. You, you think about the fact that maybe somehow in this flesh, it's it's easy to sin, but it's much easier to make the decision to. Maybe we don't realize the benefit of the flesh that, hey, I can make this decision right now, and I can start this life process change by having God's Spirit come to me because he says, hey, my, I'll, you'll be baptized by the Spirit. You know, you, you make this covenant, you, you receive oh, me. Yeah. And, then, and then it becomes really easy versus if you don't have this flesh, it might take a thousand years. I don't know. Don't procrastinate the day of your repentance. That's what, yeah. and, that, and see, that people, if we deviate from the traditional teaching of a series of rewards and glories, uh, then people always come up with this argument, well, then I can just sin and do whatever I want now and repent later if it means I can be with God. And my, I think a response to that would be, can you? Yeah, yeah, right. Can you? Can you? It's not ever a matter of if God can forgive you. It's can you repent? And, and um, listen to what C.S. Lewis says here. Uh, I've been delving into him lately. He he's talking about Matthew twenty five parable, and it says the judge tells the defendants, "Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels." This too is imagery, not idea. As Lewis puts it, the prevalent image of fire is significant because it combines the ideas of torment and destruction. For Lewis, the essence of hell can be seen in what the defendants have done, as shown by what they have not done. 
They have lived for themselves, not for others, thus yeah. not for God. And this, for Lewis, gets at the idea of hell. Anyone who is totally self-centered and self-satisfied cannot seek forgiveness. Mm. It's mm. not whether mm. God can forgive us wow. it's, it's, or cannot. Whether we have the ability to yeah. ask. Wow. What he's saying is they cannot repent. Wow. They can't seek forgiveness or recognize the need for forgiveness. Wow. They've wow. become their own God. Wow. Why do I have to listen to you? Why do I have to live like this? Why wow. do I have to bow down to your principles? I'm my own God. You wow. know, the doctrine of covenants tells us that right early on that mm. they'll make God in their image. Mm. No need for forgiveness, no need to repent. They cannot love or see the need for relationships with others, including God. Mm. No need for relationships with others or God. Mm. Self centeredness thus means separation from others. Separation seems for Lewis to describe the essential idea of hell, capturing what is conveyed by the biblical imagery of torture, destruction, privation, to be forever cut off from God's presence, eternally unable to know God's love and mercy, would be a torture best described by being burned ceaselessly by fire. Oh, wow. wow. It's like he's read the Book of Mormon. Isn't that beautiful? That's an atheist that came to know God. Wow. Wow. And his, just ties it in. So so all of this dis, all of this, you know, reading of these glories and things, it's not about being rewarded according to what you've done. It's it's about am I able to repent because in the end, if I don't see a need for repentance, if I don't see a need to um to be selfless, then it's all over. Exactly, exactly. And and I love what you just said about the flesh. This is the time to to work out, to exercise our faith, right? Yes. This is the time to to stand and then stand again. This right. is the time to not fall, like what uh, Ed Turner talked about standing. This is the time to exercise our faith and to overcome the flesh. And like Kara said, she sees Zion as you know this person being at the gate and saying, "Hey." In this city is a place where, you know, we put each other's needs above our own. You know, we we do these things. Is this something you can live by? And she says, and basically at that point, you either say, no, I can't. I mm. haven't been practicing that. Mm. I, I'm, I'm not ready. Well, you need to go away until you can. So is it not better, brothers and sisters, for us to be practicing today to overcome the flesh by exercising faith in the word and in God's way? Right. Or do we want to be gods to ourselves and just say there's no need for it? Yep. There's no need. I will live according to my own rules. And he'll say, well, then you're going to suffer the wraths, and it may be a long suffering. You know, we got a thousand years to – I mean, if you really think about that, there's moments in this world that you – are suffering that you say are just never going to end. Oh my mm-hmm. God, Lord, mm-hmm. another day, another mm-hmm. day to wake up. Mm-hmm. Thousand years. A thousand years, right, right. And we say, oh, no, not a loving God. And he says, it's not about me forgiving you. It's about can you repent? Wow. And let me tell you, you've partaken in so much sin that you are unable to repent without me putting you through a long period of suffering. But wow. according to this book, only the sons of perdition and so if you can still respond, even the sorcerers, what's it say? Sorcerers, yeah. whoremongers, everything. that they can still come forth in the final resurrection. But they're going to spend a long time of wrath and suffering. So it's not like it's a, a big party and let's just do, let's have both sides of the coin. Right, right, right. No. That, that is such, such a good point that it just shows what, maybe Section 76 is really just 
more of a magnifying glass on what it looks like when God says, okay, I'm going to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And this is kind of the details, <laughs> whether you understand it or not, of how it's going to be unfolded. If you do like you said, Mike, if this is the day of your probation and you respond, guess what? You come forth in the resurrection and you get to experience the fullness even on this earth, right? If you didn't and you were you died in your ignorance, you get to come forth in the resurrection and you'll probably you'll you'll get there. We don't we don't understand that process, but you don't come forth with a fullness, at least not at the beginning. And if you rebel, but you haven't been denying this and with full knowledge, you're going to suffer even more until you repent. But the whole idea is that all those groups will have to repent. And and when they repent, they come forth in in the resurrection. And so my or or at the end. And in the end, it's what Revelation finally teaches. I saw the dead. This is what John sees in the end of Revelation 20. I saw the dead, great and small, stand before Christ, and they were judged. And those who had rebelled are cast in the lake of fire. That's the final judgment. That's the second death. And and those who didn't, their lamb, their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're with God again. Yeah. And so, you know, there's one objection people kind of make, and I'm just going to throw this in here. Well, I don't know if people make objections. Maybe they object to everything we've been talking about <laughs> the last couple of podcasts. But no, I, there's some common things. There's some common. There's some things, and we probably just to do it a little justice should should talk about just a couple of them, and maybe we'll go over a little long on the podcast by a minute or two. But I, I just want to say that. In each of the cases, coming back to the example Enoch sees, for instance, where some came forth from the prison house and some remain, the end of paragraph 7 talks about where these people were, um, they uh, they stayed there, but they were where God and Christ were. They couldn't come worlds without end. Right. People say, well, that has that means something different. And I, I take that to simply mean this, and, and I, I don't want to get into all the details of the scriptures, of it at this point, just to say this, I simply think that's describing those that remain. In other words, this telestial state and the prison house where the people were suffering and perdition are still kind of the same place. It's just describing that some of these who get sent there for the thousand years come out at the end because you know you think about it, people who are alive right now say you're really rebellious. You're no different than someone who is really rebellious in Noah's day, but you spend all that time from Noah's time up till Christ in the prison house, right? Mm-hmm. And then you come forth at the resurrection of Christ on his right hand. God is saying the same thing of these celestial. If if I'm really rebellious right now and Jesus comes today, I go to the celestial spot for a thousand years. Right. But if my heart changes then, I get to come forth. But mm. there are still those whose hearts haven't changed. Those are perdition. Those are the ones who it says, but where Christ and God are, they can't come worlds without end, you know? And and so I don't... Uh, you just got to put on the lens that we started with. Yeah. So even if you want to take this one verse and turn it into something, are you going to ignore every, every other? Wouldn't it be ver- uh, better to step back a little bit and say, hmm... This doesn't fit with what and Jesus, by the way, wasn't Jesus in the vision at the beginning? Yeah. It says like so he was very specific. There's only one group that aren't saved. And then he said, This is the glad tidings. You know, that's such a good point too, that it's better to look at the whole of all the other scriptures and say, Oh, maybe this one doesn't quite fit. 
Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to suggest, I mean, cause honestly it, it's, if anyone spends any time in the latter day history, you know, that there were parts of the doctrine and covenants that were changed and edited. And I'm not, I'm not even saying this is that I'm, I'm not saying that I'm just saying that don't ever build a doctrine based on one verse or one even portion of a verse, verse. without comparing everything else. When you look at everything else, it's, a, it's what you've been pointing out, Mike, he saves all except those who don't rebel. The problem is, do you want to be saved and come to him right now? And and that process is sure, and you can rely on it, and you can trust in that salvation. Or do you want to say, no, I'm just going to live it up here and then rebel and then suffer for years or a thousand years? Yeah. Are you going to continue to dance with sin? You know, just sit there in a little dance with sin. And, yep. and he says, procrastinate the day of your repentance. Are you going to continue to do that? Because... Um, if you continue to do that, there's a good chance that maybe you can't repent. Well, that's where, and this comes back to what Alma said, and there's a, there's a lot of wisdom in this. That's why he said the spirit the you, that yeah. occupies you now Thank will you. be that spirit then. And the, that's the point That possesses of all your body now will be the spirit to possess your body in the world to come. So even if you're in the prison house in the world to come, you're still rebellious. It's right. not like... It's not like you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm in prison. I'm sorry. Let me out. How many people get out of prison today and go and commit sin and are back in prison today? Right. Oh, the, yeah. The recidivism rate, right? You, you go, their hearts didn't change. Right. They, were, they were punished, but their hearts weren't changed. Good well, point. don't think that you're going to, matter of fact, pray to God that you have another day to breathe on this world where you have chance to bring your flesh into submission of your spirit and practice that. So like, as Kara said, when, when there's someone at the doors of Zion saying, can you do this? Can you put other people's needs first? Yes. I've been practicing. I'm going to need some help with the Holy spirit, but that's my desire. I've been practicing that. And and I I believe that's why these people who are called terrestrial, who come forth, who had died in their ignorance or blinded by the craftiness of men, depending on what scripture you want to point to, all come under that. It's like, hey, you've proven that you want a chance to practice that. Well, well, guess what? Here's a new clean earth, and, and we're all practicing that. Come join, right? right. And, and you're going to learn to do this now, too. And, yeah. and you're trustworthy, <laughs> I guess, in, in that regard. I you love know, that, Corey. That, that perhaps, you know, this is just maybe a, a deeper view into God's plan for, mm-hmm. for all of that to happen. You know, I, I think you might link to it in the show notes, but if someone wants to hear, unfortunately, I have to hear my voice for a few hours, but we had a couple classes at Colburn Road recently on that, and I don't know if you you could link yeah, to that, yeah. where we, we go through Section 76 and a lot of other scriptures and carry it out in detail. And and if someone wants to listen to that, it's kind of it's just scripture study on all this stuff where yeah. we open it up. <clears throat> well, uh We'll figure out which which classes those were, and once you're into those classes, you can you can listen to all of them. But each one's about 50 minutes long, and it's and it's uh, like you said, a lot of these lectures in our podcast have kind of coincided based on what was t- being taught there. Sometimes but, it works that way. Yeah. yeah so. so yeah, we'll right. we'll put a link there. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to some friends of mine: Samuel Jordison, Andrew Smith, Jason Kane. They have a new podcast out. Uh, not. I guess within the last month, I just found out about it. Uh, preparatory podcast, preparatory podcast. I see that they've described it as a uh, interactive scripture study. I'm just going to play a little bit of this. I'll have a link in our show notes today where you can click on that and you can find these guys out. I think it's another great outlet to focus on the kingdom. So thank you guys again. Preparatory podcast. Here's a listen. 
welcome to Restoration Basics, the preparatory podcast where three friends and occasionally a fourth talk about things, the restoration and the preparatory gospel that we find in the scriptures today. I'm joined with two of my friends here. I'm Sam Jordison, and you guys want to introduce yourselves? Uh, well, yeah, I'm Andrew Smith. And I'm Jason Kane. So this podcast, uh, what we're looking to do for the next few episodes, and by few, I don't know, probably hundred so episodes, is go through the Book of Mormon um, on each chapter and kind of provide a commentary or our insights to that. I don't know if those will be deeply meaningful to anyone, but maybe it'll give you something to think about and dwell on throughout your day or just driving in the car. Jason, do you have any thoughts on where you want to take this podcast? Yeah, so ideally it would be sort of a interactive scripture study that takes place online where hopefully people in the church and other people that we know would be able to join in on us talking about this and have a discussion with us so we can either answer questions if people have questions or we can be steered straight if we say wrong things. And so, yeah, just some sort of interaction with our church friends or beyond uh, would be awesome. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, so just, I mean, just like with every, any book, especially scripture, you can read it a hundred times and there's always more stuff you can find, more bits of knowledge and and some insights and new thoughts and questions that come out every time you read it. And so hopefully, whether you're reading it for the first time or the hundredth time or or more, that you can maybe listen and get our insights as well and then give us some feedback about yours because um, we don't claim to know it all. So, Well, uh, our first episode is going to start off where so many of us have already read before, uh, First Nephi chapter 1. And I don't know about you guys, but this is a verse. At any time when I was younger and I was like, all right, I'm I'm going to study my scriptures. I'm going to get in the habit of doing it. It was almost like the Book of Mormon was the first place to start. One, because it's a little bit easier to read, maybe a little bit easier to process. I think the stories are more visual, maybe. Give more detail in that regard. But you'd always find yourself at Nephi chapter 1, verse 1. And it was like that has been ingrained in you since since I can remember um, it's like you could put your name right there um, with Nephi and, and quote it, you know, I, Sam, having been born of goodly parents and, and just on from there. And it's such a, I don't know, everybody knows what you're going to talk about when you, when you say I, Nephi, because everyone recognizes it. Um, so we all, we all did a read through, read through of first Nephi chapter one, and maybe we'll just talk about what we found throughout, throughout the chapter. All right. So. First Nephi, chapter one. First of all, it has Nephi being born of goodly parents, uh, has a blessed family, and he writes the record in the language of his father, which consists of the learning of the Jews in the language of the Egyptians. And this takes place in the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, uh, king of Judah. Uh, Lehi- so that would put us about 600 BC, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like 587 somewhere. It says 587 BC. We'll get to that later. But First of all, we are we start off with Lehi praying to God on behalf of the people of Jerusalem, and he's shown a pillar of fire, has a, vis- a vision where the angel uh, gives him a book, and in there it uh, reads uh, the warning of the destruction of Jerusalem. The Jews mocked Lehi once he shared this, and they tried to kill him. Lehi was also uh, warned in a dream that that was going to take place, and so he takes his family and departs into the wilderness, and they left all their riches. Laman and Lemuel murmur against Lehi. Uh, they didn't believe that a city as 
big and powerful as Jerusalem could be destroyed. So they ended up trying to kill Lehi as well. Uh, Nephi speaks under the influence of the spirit to his brothers and Sam believed, but Laman and Lemuel did not. Nephi is told by God that as long as they keep the commandments, they will prosper in the land of promise. He is also told that he would be made ruler and teacher over his brethren. Lehi has a dream that they need to go back to Jerusalem and get the plates that contain the genealogy and scriptures. Laban, the Israelite, was in possession of them. All the sons went, and the older sons thought it was a foolish mission. Nephi is obedient and says, I will go and do the things which the Lord has commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commanded them. Uh, they first send Laman to retrieve the records from Laban, but is unsuccessful, and Laban becomes violent and threatening. Uh, Nephi insists on trying again, and so then they go and gather up their old riches from their old place, and they attempt to use them to bargain with Laban. Laban refuses the bargain, but also, quote-unquote, lusts after their riches, and, um, and so he sends his servants after the brothers to kill them and steal their possessions, and then the brothers ditch all the possessions and run away. Laman and Lemuel are angry and attack Nephi and Sam, and then an angel appears and stops them and reminds them that the Lord chose Nephi as ruler over them because of their iniquities. Uh, Nephi returns into the city. Laban gets drunk and passes out in front of Nephi. Uh, the spirit says to Nephi, Behold, the Lord hath delivered him into the hands of Nephi and is instructed to kill Laban. And then it says it is better for one man perish than a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. Nephi is obedient after hesitating uh, but then cuts Laban's head off. Uh, Nephi takes Laban's clothes and armor and wears them and goes to retrieve the records. And then Zoram, Laban's servant, is there. And then they uh, Nephi gets the plates and then Zoram follows them uh, back into the wilderness after they talk to him. And then at the end it says uh, Sariah, Lehi's wife, is afraid that her sons had died. And then Lef Lehi comforts her. But then uh, once the sons and Zoram return, Sarai says, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Yea, and I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of Laban and gave them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them. And then it goes into the uh, what's in the plates, and we'll get to that later. But that's a summary of the first chapter. So a lot happens in that chapter. Um, for those of you who are listening... Uh, we are using the RLDS version of the Book of Mormon, um, so our chapters are a little bit longer than than maybe the the LDS Book of Mormon, which you can probably find um, a lot more places than the RLDS one. I yeah. think you can get a free book just if you go to their website; they'll yeah. send you a Book of Mormon. Okay. Yeah, so if you want a free Book of Mormon, just head on over to the LDS website, <laughs> ask for one. Um, but yeah, so there's about a hundred and seventy four um, hundred and seventy four verses in the first chapter. Now we touched on. Or you mentioned in the very beginning, you know, Lehi has his vision. But there's something really important here that I think. And, and so if, you're open to the, if you are to open the Book of Mormon and just start in chapter 1. And verse 8 says, And it came to pass that he saw one descending out of the midst of heaven, and he beheld that his luster was above that of the sun at noondays. And if you want to skip over to verse 20, um, Lehi is again talking to the, the Jews, and he's testifying of the things he saw in his vision. And, and the things he read in the book that the, the man gave him, and he manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah and also the redemption of the world. And so I just want to address the fact that within the first chapter of the Book of Mormon and within the, 
like, you know, first eight verses, 20 verses, the story of Jesus and Jesus being a prominent figure throughout these pages is evident. And that is so important. And, and people might ask, you know, why do you need the Book of Mormon? We, we, we already know a lot about Jesus, but this this book is is so chock full of Christ. And it starts out with him within the first eight verses, within the 12 verses, and it tells you what the rest of the story is going to be about throughout these pages is that it's about the coming of the Messiah and also the redemption of the world. Exciting stuff. Uh, that was a great place, I thought, to just uh, end our little preview of the preparatory podcast. Why do we why do we want to read through the Book of Mormon? Because of the great testimony of Jesus Christ. Check them out. Again, we'll put a link in our show notes. Until next time, remember, we are walking each other home. God bless.